Legacy is more. Welcome back. I appreciate everybody who tuned into episode one. We really appreciate the feedback. Uh, we're going to keep getting after it. So without much further ado, let's get into it. All right. So today we have Lamar Thomas, uh, who's a category development manager at the Heineken company right now, which is a Fortune 500. Uh, previously a Nestle employee. And if you guys don't know why it's a big deal, while well, I'm always saying, you know, distinguishes between Fortune 500 and not, um, those are both actually Fortune 100 companies, if I'm, if I'm correct, right, Lamar? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you are correct. Annual revenue generating company. Um, and it reps like two thirds of the economy. I think last year it did like $14 trillion in, in top line revenue. So when I'm saying where these companies are coming from, it's just to give you guys perspective of uh, this is no small change. Uh, but anyway, so Lamar has been working with the Heineken company just about um, a year. Um, I've known Lamar from, from being in school and one of the few, the few, the proud who went and got the masters after saying they got it. So Lamar, man, I used to joke about you being like the professional student. Um, but now here you are, man, a black man with an MBA and no student debt. Like, how, how does that happen? Definitely a blessing. Um, I'd be remiss to not recognize that. Just, I know this is a big opportunity that that's been afforded to me and uh, it's something that a lot of kids uh, dream of probably can't even fathom so um, I would say it's uh, it's definitely from hard work um, it's definitely from just being able to be blessed to be in the right places at the right time I think of a couple just a couple things that have kind of stuck with me um, throughout my career um, and definitely making sure that I was a student athlete um, I think we, you and I have joked about it before. Um, we had to realize uh, probably earlier than we wanted to that uh, that basketball wasn't going to be where we made our money and made our millions. Um, we had to, had to pivot. And I think um, my mom being a teacher really instilled that like educational foundation in me. Um, and my dad too, knowing that it's something that they can't take away from you. Um, and just something about like how I carried myself as a person um, on campus, you know, I think of my mother always telling me like it doesn't cost you anything to treat people the right way or treat people um, with respect and be nice to people. Um, I think that's something that resonated with me and with how I interacted with people on campus. Um, and then just always uh, keeping that attitude of there's only two things you can control. Um, and that's how hard you work and your attitude about like what goes on and how you react to things. So I'm um, just always keeping that positive aspect. I think people around campus really took an interest in that and really noticed that um, and really saw like no matter where I was gonna go or what the um, situation was, I was gonna be positive and make the best out of it. So that lent people to be willing to help me um, and willing to um, help me get to where I wanna go. Man, that, that's a good point, man. Mindset is so important. Um, attitude goes a long ways. People can see it on you from the second they see it. Um, and so, you know, you're saying, hey, a lot of people wanted to help you out. When did you know that you were going to get your master's? And like, what does that mean that people wanted to help you out? How did you take advantage of that? Yeah, um, honestly, I didn't really know that I wanted to get my master's. I mean, like you, like you just said, I was kind of a professional student. So I went to, uh, I went to prep school and um you know did my time there then went to fordham 
um, Fordham University in New York and New York nor Fordham were the place for me um, coming out of high school. So I had to do a redshirt year when I first got to HBU. So I ended up, I ended up doing five years in college and kind of took a, a victory lap my senior year. So I just took like easy classes. I think my, uh, I think you might, you probably remember my second semester of senior year, I had like one class and it was in the afternoons um, on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So some days I wouldn't like leave the room until like two o'clock um, after the season was over. And obviously if I had, if I, you know, knew what I knew now or knew what I knew then, um, I probably would have been working on that master's um, that second semester of senior year instead of taking the full two years to do it. Um, but what happened was um, something I shared with you, somebody we're trying to um, get into the professional game now. It's that whole catch 22 of when you're coming out as a senior, like, well, all the jobs I want require experience, but I don't have any experience and I can't get any experience because none of the jobs I want will hire me unless I have experience or I have an MBA. So I went to our, um, you know, funny coincidence, I went to our basketball coach, um, like, hey coach, you know, I, I'm trying to get into the game. Um, I, I wanna get into business, but a lot of the jobs that I'm looking at are requiring five years experience or an MBA. Well, I can't do anything about the five years experience right now, but I can do something about the MBA and I'm willing to work. I would be willing to work for the school um, and help help you guys coach in whatever capacity you need, if you guys would be willing to take a chance on me um, and help me to get my MBA. And coach looked at me and was like, well, we'd love to keep you around. Um, we'd love to have you on campus. Um, and I, I said, it's funny that the way it worked out because the athletic director was in the office with coach when I approached him about this. Um, and coach said, well, we'd love to keep you around, um, but do you have any interest in coaching long-term? I was like, no, not at all. Like, that's not what I wanted to do. It's like, yeah, so then it really wouldn't suit you to do that. Um, but what if you learned the business side, um, if that's what you want to get into? What if you learned the business side while you were doing your MBA? And our athletic director, um, Steve Maniaggi, who's who I keep in contact with to this day, I mean, he's been a huge impact on like how I view leadership, how I view the business landscape, and just everything else. Um, he was like, well, we want to develop like our business marketing department. Um, if you would help us head that up, you can get real hands-on experience in real time and we'll pay for your MBA. So, I mean, it was like a dual education for me. So I was able to learn like all the business ins and outs and, you know, how do you run the business, develop my business acumen, um, learn a lot from Steve as far as like how to be a leader um, and how to put yourself um, in the line of fire and make sure um, that you, that like um, answers start and end with you, um, like the buck stops here. And then also at night, I was able to go to school and complete all my MBA work. So just a great opportunity. Something you said that really stuck out, I think people can learn from is, is one, you have to make those asks, you have to approach people looking for help. And that's the only way you can get it. Um, and then something else, man, that you know, I like to tell people, and I think you should be aware of is, um, I would much rather be prepared for something I'm not going to do versus not be prepared for something I want to do. So, you know, sure. you know, you're now saying, man, if I would have known what I knew now, I would have been working on that master's, you know, my senior year and got in and got out. So I say that to say kids who are in freshman year and sophomore year, 
start putting those feelers and making those relationships with places that you can, you know, potentially do work study program to get your MBA. So when your yep. senior year comes, you've already set that up. And if you decide you don't want to do it, it's much easier to move on than versus scrambling your senior year to figure it out. 100%, man. 100% agree with that. Um, and I would say, I would also challenge um, the, you know, the sophomores, juniors and seniors to make sure that you're intentional, not only about your relationships on campus, but make sure you're intentional about your time on campus. Like, I'm not saying don't have a good time because God knows we did um, when we were on campus. But um, when you are doing things around campus, everybody's not blessed to be able to hoop on campus or be a part of the student athletic advisory committee, you know, but when you are doing things on campus, make sure that you're planting flags. Um, because like you said in the last podcast, you can translate experience into anything. So if you're, I don't care if you're part of the kick, well, the kickball team is probably an extreme, but I don't care if you're president of your fraternity or sorority, or, you know, if you're part of the cupcake club and you're the president of that, like if you're doing something to make an impact, then you can translate that into a resume and why you're a good fit somewhere. Yeah, man. So, so speaking of that, man, how did you use that in MBA? I mean, how did you leverage it in the job world? You know, does it, did it mean you were able to shave off some of those years of experience that are required? Did it help, you know, negotiate and pay? I mean, again, you landed at two Fortune 100 companies. So can you talk to us about how important it was in the job force? Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, I think it's something, if you have the opportunity that somebody is going to um, pay for you to do it right outside of school, um, or you can do some sort of fellowship or grant where you won't take on a bunch of debt to get it done, um, then I absolutely think it's worth it. I mean, education is the key, right? Um, I think one thing that I could have done better is network during that time. Um, but interestingly enough, a lot of the people I was networking with in my program were around the same age as me. They were like my peers, like that was who I studied with. Um, so I wish I would have had more access to people who were like, okay, I'm at a certain ceiling. Um, I want to use this net, this MBA as like an executive type thing. So then it would have opened some more doors for me because I think um, when I first came out, it was just kind of like a check the box, a nice to have. Um, and um, definitely for the first position I have, I don't think it was a requirement. So it was almost like I would look at my peers in the professional sense and was like, wow, you know, this guy's, this guy's a little bit younger than me and he's at the same place that I am. So it's almost something that I was a little self-conscious about and I had to remind myself, well, you know, you have something that they don't have. Um, and then interestingly enough, like not, not, a, not that it's something to harp on. I do think that for us, um, for people that look like me and you, it is something that I've noticed people have um, earlier in their career stage. So I think a lot of my like, bosses bosses have had MBAs, but I don't think a lot of my bosses that don't look like me have MBAs. Whereas I think a lot of my peers that have been stuck that look like us don't have it versus the ones that are kind of labeled high potential um, and uh, move on faster like myself do have their MBA. So just something anecdotal that I've noticed. Um, I do think it helps to give us a leg up um, and I do think it's something that they can't use against us not having. So that is one of the benefits. 
That, that was some good free game there, man. In, in case y'all missed it, he said, not just networking within his peer group, but, but leveling up and utilizing that time while he was there. I think it's super important that you're intentional about your time and who you talk to and that you branch out. Um, but with that said, you know, all of your peers, even the people you work with today, you guys are all going to continue to grow and go other places. So um, being able to put your, your flags as many places as you can, whether it's your classmates, whether it's teachers, whether it's business people, um, that's super important. So that, that's something we would say. And I think from here, man, love to dive into a little bit more of your experience in the work world. Two Fortune 100s, man, that's the goal for most of us coming out of college. You want to get a reputable company. You know, you were a territory manager, a category development manager. For the people at home, man, what is that? What's that look like? What's that career path afterwards? For sure. The other thing about like building your network, be smart enough to use the people that you know that are around you. Like if you're, um, if you know Anthony and you're a little bit younger than him and you know Anthony seems to be doing pretty well, then he's probably met some people that are doing pretty well in their career. Don't be scared to ask Anthony like, hey, would you mind reaching out on my behalf? Or do you think you can connect, some, connect me with somebody who might be looking? Because you never know where that conversation is going to take you and how one conversation could potentially change everything for you. So, um, and like, actually, that's kind of what happened to me. I was uh, learned from my mistake, I guess. I was very stubborn um, when I was coming out. I didn't want to, I actually didn't want to go work for Nestle. My dad uh, was a senior leader at Nestle. Um, he had been there for 25 years, I think. He just retired um, a couple years ago. And like I said, it was, it was hard finding a job, just like it is for most kids coming out of college, unless, you know, you just are a slam dunk. Well, for me, it was a little bit difficult. And I was like, no, I want to get it on my own. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to get an interview with my dad. I, well, long story short, you, life has a way of humbling you. So I, uh, I took the interview with my dad's company. And just because you get an interview or somebody helps to get you in the door, you're still going to have to do the work once you get there. So I think that's, a, that's the misconception that some people who are like, no, I want to get it on my own. That's what they have. Um, so I took the interview with Nestle, got the job, and became a territory manager um, to answer your question in a long winded way but uh, a territory manager is a great entry entry level job um, because it's, it's all what you make it so what you do is you go to different stores um, within your territory which is a set of a set part of the country and you just kind of make sure that everything is going smooth so um, I was on the pet side so I would go into PetSmart and Petco and I'd just say like hey um, just want to make sure that you guys have enough product on the shelves just want to make sure you guys know that this is new coming out. Um, just want to make sure, like, it looks like we have some extra product in the back. Maybe we can get it out front, build a display. Um, and then from my side, I would make sure that everything that was there was supposed to be there. Um, and that I was talking to the employees to build rapport so they would know um, when somebody came to ask them, like, what to sell. So it's a, it's a very good entry-level job because you learn um, you can learn the business and you can learn it at your own pace. So I had peers that were just kind of like, you know, I enjoy where I'm at. I love this. And this is the speed I want to stay at. And, you know, it's a decent salary, um, not a ton of pressure. So it enables you to do that. 
I was in Wisconsin, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which was a place that was a little bit foreign to me and was a lot of bit cold to me. And I had a newlywed wife that uh, moved from Texas and didn't exactly love it there. So I tried to move a little bit faster. So my job was to like, okay, how do I learn this business? How do I figure out how to separate myself and differentiate myself? to show that I'm learning it faster, that I'm making more of an impact. Um, and then I was able to progress through the field. I would say the biggest thing with an entry level role like that is learn as much as you can and then figure out what your peers are doing and separate yourself from the pack. Man, say, say one more time. He said, learn as much as you can and separate yourself because too many times you get caught looking at your entry-level job with your buddies and your buddies might be making 60,000, you're making 40,000. But the, the thing that people miss out on, Lamar, is like, unless you're an entrepreneur, unless you hit it big, you're gonna be working for quite some time. So it's not about where you are now, it's about where you're going. So you need to find a position that allows you to flex all your muscles, to learn from different people, to see different sides of the business, um, and, and then use that you know, to project yourself to your next role. So. You know, again, you did that and it took you some obscure places, right? I think you were in Milwaukee, you were in Cincinnati, and now you're in Atlanta. Um, yeah. How important is it for people who are trying to figure out, hey, you got to get it by any means necessary, that you got to be flexible to go different places, especially if you're a person of color? For sure. For sure. It's not for everybody. I'll say that. Um, it's definitely, you definitely have to be wired a little bit differently but you definitely have to be ready to see the big picture. Um, one of the things that my dad told me coming out, and I think you'll appreciate this. Well, first off, I saw my dad move around a lot since, like I said, he was with Nestle, Karina. Um, we moved, I was born in Cincy. We moved to Michigan, then back to Ohio, and then out to Denver. And then once he got to a comfortable level, it was like, no, I'm not moving anymore. They offered him, you know, certain numbers. They offered him certain jobs. No, I'm not going. My family's here. We like it. But, you know, when you're starting out, you probably don't have that much clout. So um, you have to get it how you get it. And the thing he told me and the mentors, well, the thing my dad told me that I think you'll appreciate is it's a lot easier to go from Kentucky and transfer it down than it is to try to go from, you know, to try to go from a small school and transfer into Kentucky. You know, um, and that's just a basketball analogy for any of you hoops fans out there. Um, but like, so the way I looked at it and the way he told me to look at it, like if you go from Nestle and a couple mentors told me this too, if you go from Nestle where people know, wow, this is the big, one of the biggest companies in the world. They have some of the best practices in the world. Their training is second to none. We'll pay that person for the training that they've received. So I started at Nestle. I proved myself. Um, when I went to Cincinnati to work for the Kroger team, for the Kroger Nestle team. So um, I, was, I was in Kroger every week, every week, helping them with their business, helping them like, okay, here's what we can do at Kroger headquarters, not in the Kroger store. Um, and I was telling them like, hey, here's what we can do at a headquarter level to impact the business across the nation. Well, Kroger's the second biggest account in North America. The first biggest is Walmart. But if you go to Walmart or you go to an account like Kroger, you can kind of write your own ticket. So just by having having accounts like Nestle on my resume, working for them, and then people knowing that I've worked for the Kroger account and was promoted a couple times in a couple years, 
people saw like, okay, this guy's hungry. Obviously he's got the ability, he's been trained, right? Because he worked for Nestle and obviously he's got the ability to work on complex projects because he worked for Kroger. So by doing that, you can elevate yourself. So just be strategic about your moves um, and be thoughtful and just make sure they're, just see the bigger picture, you know? It may suck to leave your friends for a little while, but you know, once you're pulling in that salary that you want and people have paid you for those sacrifices that you made, I guarantee you'll be like, man, it was worth it um, just because of how much you've learned and how you're living now. <clears throat> man, so that you were able to leverage, what, what do they say? Use the name on the front of your jersey, not the back. So you're looking at Nestle here. Um, and when you go out, that holds some weight, that holds some water when you're trying to network and get the next role. So that all out for you. Now, now you're in a big city, you're in Atlanta, um, and you're with Heineken. So I got I to gotta ask you, just from my previous experience, so I, I've been working in partnerships pretty much my whole career. I was in sports before this. Um, so when you're working in sports, man, the beer and liquor sponsors and partners are huge. So I work with sure. Corona, you name it. Um, but I can tell you this, man, I only dealt with one person of color in my five plus years doing that. Um, it's like, what's your experience been like in the Heineken company? Has it been similar to that or, you know, what, what have you found? Yeah, it's, it's been similar. It's interesting um, because like, even though, even though there's not a ton of people of color at Heineken, I don't feel as much like, as much pressure to perform as I did in, in the past, just because of being as a person of, of just because I'm a person of color. Um, so, and that could just, that could just be something that's internalized or maybe it could be the real, you know, the reality. But um, I have noticed, especially in, in my discipline, category development, um, it's some, it's kind of a newer field and um, there's not as many, it's a more technical field. So, um, I think a lot of our peers that look like us are steered more towards like sales roles where they're um, interacting face to face because it's like, oh, you have a good personality. So you'd be good, you know, you'd be good at that rather than like being behind the computer and being creative and things like that. They're kind of pushed away from things like that. Um, but I haven't that necessarily been the case at Heineken. Um, I've only been here for a year. So, you know, I've, I've had a pretty good experience in that year. But I think what I do think is interesting is in the wake of all of the uh, social unrest and um, just some of the horrific, the horrific things that we've seen this summer, um, as far as like the killing of George Floyd and like the, the murder of Breonna Taylor, things like that, we came together um, to kind of address and talk about those things as a company group. Um, so I, I actually started the group um, even though I'm kind of new, but it definitely shifted my perspective because I thought the group was just going to be like, hey, let's come together and talk and, you know, let's make sure we all have hope. And it turned into something that was like, hey, before we press the organization to do something outside, let's make sure that we have, uh, let's make sure that we're doing everything right on the inside. So now that's become, um, that's become a whole six point plan where we're looking at and we've talk to the leadership of the company about how to address and how we want to fix inside the walls of Heineken. Um, like how do we look at promotion, retention, and recruitment of African-Americans? How do we give resources to people who want to be allies? How do we make sure that we're in a position that we can speak on social 
um, issues in the community. So um, there's definitely a, a lack and a void in the, in the beer and alcohol industry. But I do think that um, in this moment, it's unique and people are speaking up and trying to figure out like how to correct and how to fill that void. So, and I, th I think it's twofold. Obviously it's the right thing to do and it's something we need, our voices need to be heard. But I think there's, a, there's obviously a business opportunity in it too. Um, so that's some, it's a business critical mission because I feel like if you fail to reach minorities, especially the black community, then you probably won't be relevant for very long. So that doesn't just go for Heineken. I think that goes for all companies in CPG or consumer packaged goods in general. Yeah, no, man, that, that's big. It's something you said, man, that I don't wanna just brush past. Um, you said, hey, maybe that, that pressure that you feel corporately, you internalized um, and it's not truly there. And so maybe it's just your maturity as you grow and do the ranks. Um, but I, I don't think so, man. I think all people of color, um, when you enter a corporate position and you don't see many people that look like you, you feel as though you're representing not just yourself, but the race and, and you know, puts that added pressure on you to be like, hey, this is bigger than me. You know, I got to be able yeah. to write so that the next person gets in and gets a shot. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you touched on that, man. I'm also glad to hear about all the stuff Heineken's doing. Um, you know, if we're going to ever see change and effect change, it's got to start from within and those company statements that you're hearing from a lot of companies, um, and need to be actualized and, and seeing some actual change because we all can point to a few companies that we know are putting out statements that don't necessarily believe in it. But, um, I think you and I are blessed to be in positions where our companies are, are moving to make those changes. You mind if I go back to one thing you just said about like internalizing the pressure and um, and whatnot, and just being one of the few black faces in in the crowd, which most of our listeners probably will be if they're if they're just starting out. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. So yeah, just wanted to just wanted to touch on that real quick. Um. Something you know, I'm six eight, so obviously I stand out. So being six eight, and then being like one of the only black faces in the crowd, people know you're there, and then people know who my dad is because he's also six eight. Um and a big black guy. So people know who I was as soon as I walk in the room. Um, but I think what's important about that and what's important for a lot of our, um, a lot of the people that are gonna be listening to this to understand is that you being unique in that setting, your first impression is gonna, your first impression as unfortunate as it is, is gonna be the impression. So it, it sucks that it's, un, that it's added pressure, but when you go into those all company meetings, you have to make sure that you're tight. Like you don't have the opportunity to be the one that's in there sleeping or the one who's sitting in the back or the one who just happened to show up three minutes late. Like you need to be early. You need to make sure that you're, you're gonna stand out because of who you are. So you need to make sure that you're ready to fit into the corporate culture um, because unfortunately in that big group, a lot of times that's not the time to make waves because you make a first impression that shows like you're good and you fit in and like you're a hard worker, people are gonna take that and like, oh, I remember that guy. Or they may not, but usually they're gonna be like, I remember that guy, he, he left a good taste in my mouth. And it may not last long, it may not get you that promotion, it may just keep you there. But what I do know and what I have experienced, if you, what I've seen from others of my peers, if you're that one who they say is disruptive or you don't fit in the group, well, it can be two, three, four, five years down the line 
And when it comes time for you to get that promotion, a lot of times it's going to be, well, I don't know if he's a fit for my team because he did that thing. And it sucks because you were at the beginning of your career, but that doesn't help you get that promotion. So I feel like I would be doing a disservice to not share that. Yeah, so and to be clear, you're, you're talking about being on a P's and Q's, not necessarily silencing your voice, but making sure that you're representing at a, at a high level. No, yeah, I would never say silence your voice at all. Definitely say make sure to be on your P's and Q's. Basically, don't give them, don't give them added ammunition because as, as we know, this, the cards are going to be stacked against us a lot of times. I'm not saying that there's not good people that are not willing to help, but just like we know how like internalized bias kind of goes sometimes. So there's already some like, well, I'm not so sure. Like, I don't know. So don't give them that reason to say like, oh, yep, you know, he he was being a goofball at that meeting or, you know, he was he was the, he closed the bar down or et cetera, et cetera. So um, just just don't be that guy, you know, hold yourself hot to a higher standard. Miss, you, you've already given a lot of a lot of good advice here, but like, you know, what's something I, I love asking this question. What's something in your career that you wish either someone would have told you and maybe they did and you just didn't listen. Um, so you had to learn, learn the hard way that you'd like to pass down until the next man or woman. I just answered your question. <laughs> no, but um, seriously, I think just a couple like pearls of wisdom. The first one, I say this half jokingly, but uh, really true especially if you're going to work for a big company um, where they're going to expect you to move around a lot, buy a house uh, or consider buying a house because um, you're going to leave money on the, if they pay you to move around and they expect, if they expect you to move around a lot, they're going to pay you to move. If they pay you to move, you're going to get probably double if you're a homeowner than you would get if you were um, renting an apartment. So even if you're like, I don't know if I want to be in Wisconsin long-term, just get the starter house and then take the money on the back end when it's time to move. Just keep grinding and be like, all right, I'm ready for this house. So it's like a double investment. You're investing in yourself and you're investing in the money. So I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but definitely want people to consider that because it's something that I never thought of coming out. Um, something else I would, I would say as like a pearl of wisdom, find your allies. Um, when you get there, naturally, you're going to have people that you have, in, you have things in common with. Um, find those people, stick with those people, um, work with those people, um, make them your, 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 your work friends. Um, don't get too close to them because that can lead to a whole nother bad situation, but make those your work friends. So you're going to have peers that you want to bounce stuff off of like, Hey, am I doing this right? Hey, are you seeing this right? Hey, you know, that one coworker, I can't believe they wore that, you know, there's just stuff. You just going to want to build that rapport. You know, you know, it's natural. So find your group on that sense and then find, find those allies um, that are higher up than you that you can also bounce stuff off, off of. So the way I always look at, I always set up one-on-one -on -one calls with my quote unquote mentors. Um, and I don't mean a boss. I mean, somebody who can be in your corner. So um, for me, I've had a couple older black guys that have, you know, looked out for me and like, hey, you know, game recognizes game. Like they're like, hey, I see this guy and the way he carries himself. You know, he's somebody that I want to reach out to um, and reach a hand to. And from my perspective, it's like, okay, he looks like me. There's not a lot of us at the top. I, I want to know how he got there. I want to see what I can, um, you know, I want to see what his experience was, see if it aligns with mine. 
obviously not just because somebody's black are they gonna you know have the same experience or be down with you or be down to help you but a lot of times there will be i've had other people that don't necessarily look like me but we've been able to bond over other things so um you know i set up one-on-one -on -one calls with them regular cadences and what i do is usually show one or two projects that i'm working on so like so they can see how i work what i work on um so one or two projects that just shows like hey what would you do with this how are you thinking about this am i thinking about it the right way then i show one win so it'll be like hey you know i'm doing my thing i want you to see that you know you're higher up with some influence when those talking talent conversations come up think of me i've shown you these wins you know pass those back to the organization and then one either development thing uh, or, or one personal thing. I mean, it doesn't always have to be huge. Like, um, you know, this one of my mentors that I still keep in touch with, his name is Giles, big Philly fan, Philly everything. So we would talk about Sixers basketball sometimes. Like, hey, is Ben Simmons ever going to shoot a three? Embiid's looking good. But sometimes we would talk about like, hey, you know, Giles, I'm working on this. Or I'm looking at this from a personal perspective. I want to figure out how to find my voice as a leader. Um, what would what would your advice be there? So, and then he would he would give me game like, yeah, as a team leader, this is how I look at that. So, two things you're working on: one win, and one um, one personal thing. So, find your mentors, find your peer groups, and lastly, find that person who's killing it in your field. There's always there's always a golden child at your level. Find that person. Find out what that person is doing from day one. Because like I said, impressions, first impressions are so important. So if you can find that Anthony Hill, who's a baller and shot caller, and you can find out what he's doing, and then you can figure out how to do it better, now you're the baller and the shot caller. So pal around with him, find out what he's doing and how you can do it better. Instead of finding that guy who's just hanging on, might be on a performance plan and replicating what he's doing. You don't want to do that. And I, I appreciate the plugs, man, but it, you know, if anybody didn't catch anything you said, man, reach out, reach out, reach out. You get no gold medal for doing it on your own. Um, you know, I think that's something that you said, man, that I, I really want to make sure people understand that is that there are people out there that want to help. And we, you and I wouldn't be chatting here today if people didn't want to help. Nope. Uh, so, you know, definitely a big thing to reach out and to reach out with value, just like you said, man. So, uh, Lamar, how about you, you tell the people how they can get a hold of you um, if they're trying to reach out and, and link up. 281-330-80. No, I feel like I just dated myself, man. Have these kids, have these kids watching probably won't even understand that. Ooh. But no, LinkedIn. Um, my name's Lewis Lamar Thomas on LinkedIn. Um, should I get my email or? No, I think LinkedIn will do it, man. We, you got to show some initiative. Lamar's giving a lot of free game. Go find them. Go, go link up. Yeah, Lewis Lamar Thomas, comma, MBA on there. I had to let people know what I'm working with. So That's right, man. When you're a boss, you can do that. <laughs> uh, and Lamar, appreciate you, you, uh, you coming through, man. This has been another episode of Legacy is More. We'll be back. Keep uplifting one another. Remember, we are powerful. We are enough. We can make a difference. And we will overcome. Legacy is more. <laughs>